Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Mosier continue their discussion on the Small Called Articles. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and a faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, visit flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back for part two of this discussion on uh, part one, article two of the Small College Articles. Really unfortunate naming and numbering, but really it's part two of Filioque. That's (laughs) true. Yeah, good point. Yep. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so if, if you want to know what that is, uh, maybe go back to last week's episode to listen to... Yeah, this is to... going to be as serialized of an episode yeah. as we've had in a long time, because everything we talk about today is going to flow out of the concept of what we talked about last week when it comes to the importance of certain matters of theology, but also this this concept of the trickle-down effect, right. where yeah. you get to one clause in a creed from 1,700 years ago... Uh, that matters for what's going on in the broad landscape of American Christianity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it plays an integral role. Right. Yeah, Jason, was is it you that said the whole... Um the heretics right theology, or is yeah. that somebody else? Said, no, that's my. That's a Jason uh, quote. Jason Goodham. That's lesson one of the actual being Lutheran <laughs> mm-hmm. curriculum. Is our understanding of church history is best to be understood that heretics write the theology of the church, and the failure of modern theologians to embrace that is explaining why historical theology, more or less, in in liberalish seminaries, has gone off the rails because it's like well. Th- Inerrancy must not matter because Tertullian didn't deal with it. Or, you know, if inerrancy mattered, why didn't Luther deal with it? Or all of these things as if every doctrine of the church needs to be fully articulated immediately. And that's not the case. But by and large, as the church grew, people trusted the apostles, people trusted the word of God, and they received it. Once people started screwing it up, then you got to pause correct and correctly articulate what is meant. And I mean, we see that happening in the actual New Testament. Every one of the epistles is written to correct bad theology with exception of maybe Romans. Mm-hmm. Which also, well, and, and there's debate that, on that that's too. That's why I like Romans. So. Well, there's debate on that too, though, <laughs> well, as yeah. to why, you know, the, his, his purpose, because his whole writing, and well, that's another story, but r- is, is all a theological treatise about the person and work of Jesus and justification by faith. You know, so, I mean, but a, a specific, you know, a specific argument, yeah. It, you can go either way. I've heard arguments both ways. What I was going to say is doctrine matters. You know, that's what oh, you're yeah, saying. Doctrine right. matters. And when people say, oh, I don't do doctrine, or um, no creeds but the Bible, you know, sometimes is, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that is oftentimes used to abuse people with, with scripture because you're actually, that's, that's, that's actually the line in, in the route heretics would take is, you know, the, I, I have no creeds, but the Bible is the line of many cult leaders and they, their interpretation. And that's where heresies come from, but it's the, it's the collective understanding of these things as they've been wrestled through throughout history. Um, and, and that's what helps shape our understanding and, and uh, keep us on. The, it's the thing God uses to keep us on the right path. Well, and, and we were actually talking about this at lunch today is that where there is, where there is a gray area 
in a statement of faith or a mission statement where there's vagaries and, and, and inconsistencies, that's where the bad actors, that's where the manipulators, that's where the abusers operate. And so, you know, when a generic statement is good enough, you let it stand because you can point to scripture and say, hey, it says here. But then a heretic like Arius comes along and says, no, Jesus wasn't God. Uh, he was the highest created being. And he thinks he's protecting God's honor by doing that. Then you've got someone like Augustine and the rest of the church, Athanasius and all these other people who come literally smack him around. <laughs> but uh, they, they say, no, we have to articulate yeah. the relationship between the son and the father. We have to do that. And that's what's going on here. Where articulation is necessary, where articulation exists, it means that someone screwed it up. Mm-hmm. But we aren't given free reign over uh, over Scripture for the exact same reason. The the people who say no creed but Christ, what it is, what it, what they're saying is only my creed matters. Mm-hmm. And you you what you do is you place yourself as Lord over Scripture. And, yeah. and then it becomes my interpretation versus your interpretation, and that's not how Scripture was meant to be taken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, let's let's get into this here. Um, we're going to talk mo- more about the Holy Spirit here, launching into this episode, and and, and kind of touch on your. You know, I love that illustration of the triple trickle triple trickle down. The triple down. <laughs> yeah. Trickle down, down effect. effect. You're that's doubling like a, down. Yeah. I tripled down. Yes, it's like a gambling <laughs> reference, yeah. Brett. Come on, this oh, is a family show. Man. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we we're, we're walking through each part of, of uh, each statement, talking about the Father is begotten of no one, the Son is begotten of the Father. We we kind of uh, discussed that last episode, and now that that, that third uh, sentence there, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, let's let's unpack that in, in this episode. Yeah. So just to revisit that image, the trickle down effect, I compared that to my broken ankle. Right? Which is lovely. I love that you're bringing this up again. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's but, better than a 90s like pop reference. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The, the trickle-down effect is like when boys to men split up. <laughs> and, and then people tried solo careers. Destiny's and, Child was a thing. And then and Beyonce. Beyonce. And everyone else, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, I, like uh, yeah. legitimately I have a partially torn labrum in my hip. Right. Because I broke my ankle and I had to adjust how I functioned based on one part of my body not operating appropriately. Or uh, even more recently, I, I went into this was last calendar year. I went in for physical therapy because I occasionally get um, really bad plantar fasciitis in my right foot which is the opposite of the ankle that was broken. And we were trying to figure out because it kept coming back. It kept coming yeah. back. They were treating it. I was stretching. So it kept coming back. The, well, what, right ended up, what ended up happening is my physical therapist, she threw up her hand. She's like, okay, we're going to start from the beginning. He's like, I want you to go out to the hallway and just walk. And I was like, what? She's like, just walk. And immediately she saw it that I had pivoted my hips to adjust for the pain in my ankle. And so that I walked with one side of my hips slightly forward. And I immediately, we worked on correcting so that my hips were parallel to my shoulders while I walked, and the plantar fasciitis went away almost instantly. Oh, Let wow. the listener understand he was moving that way while he was talking. It looks like a penguin. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yes. It was, so it, Google that. Kind of like that's a, what a modified waddle is kind of what I was doing. But it's all in the hips. It's when, when a major part breaks... <laughs> My hips don't lie. Uh, a major part breaks. Yeah. Everything else underneath it will be under strain. And that the same yeah. principle is true of theology. Yeah. And so you look at, okay, here, and this is Luther's last 
you know, statement of faith before he dies. He considers the small cult articles his last will and testament. We talked about that a few episodes ago. And, and from the outset, it works the same way in the catechisms. It works the same way in the Augsburg Confession. We build off of the basic foundational theology so that we know where we're going. And so Article 1 is the nature of the Trinity. Article 2 is how the Trinity operates. And what we're really getting after here is what's the role of the Holy Spirit and how does the Holy Spirit function in relation to the other two persons of the Trinity. And what we realize if we pause and we step back into the 21st century is that this is the inflection point that so many American denominations are getting wrong, which explains why we disagree with them so much right now. Hmm. Can, can you give like a brief example of that? Well, the brief, the brief example of this would be anything going on in the prosperity gospel okay. or in the charismatic or in the Pentecostal wing of the church that treats the Holy Spirit like this cosmic free agent, or, or you even hear unthinking pastors frequently compare the Holy Spirit to the force in Star Wars, which is not only heresy, <laughs> yeah. it's entirely wrong yeah. how the Holy Spirit but operates, the right? The Holy Spirit shows up because the, the goosebumps in our arms uh, well, yeah, pop it's, up. Yep. And, and we all do this out of habit. If something emotional and powerful yeah. happens in church, people automatically say, well, the Holy Spirit was moving. And you, you, you have to be careful how you address this because in, when you're talking about emotions, you're talking about experience, and then you're talking against that, you always end up sounding like a jerk. Yeah. You know, yeah. someone's going to say, well, you know, you're so stuffy in your theology. Why don't you just give room for the Holy Spirit to work and see what he does kind of a thing, right? But you get into this confession that the Holy Spirit does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, in whatever way he wants, and you get into really some bad juju as a Christian <laughs> because you're like, you're, you're giving credit to yeah. something that is not only biblical or not biblical, but now you're pointing that God is the one who did this. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So where do you start to, in terms of responding to that or, or building this biblical base of uh, kind of realigning uh, the doctrine so that it, it doesn't have this tr- trickle-down effect? Well, you can you work one of two ways. The, the first way, the, the catechetical way is to build a proper confession and you just mm-hmm. start rebuilding, which is what Luther emphasized yeah. with the catechism, yep. right? He's like, I don't, uh, I don't master the catechism. I still need to go back to it and learn it. You do that or you start, you can reverse engineer. Yeah. Like, like how did we get to the point where speaking in tongues is the necessary mark of a true and committed Christian? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that you, you work in either direction. Sure. Sooner or later, you're going to cross paths by doing that. So you, you look at the, the work of the Holy Spirit, and you know, I introduced this last week. I've, I've touched on it a couple of times. My, my thing that I'm working on right now, I call catechetical theology. It's a, it's a systematic theology based on the structure of the catechism. And then if you look at how the Holy Spirit works and mm-hmm. shows up in the catechism, which is the basic foundational confession of the Christian, the Holy Spirit primarily shows up in the third article of the creed. The, mm-hmm. And that's the, the article of sanctification, but it's really the article of the application of the gospel. Right. Well, in that particular article, it talks about how he calls us through the gospel. Mm-hmm. He enlightens us with his gifts. Uh, he makes us holy, sanctifies us yeah. in the truth. And then he... Um, he forgives our sins abundantly, yep. and, and on the last day, he raises us up, 
right, from yeah. the dead, and then he will bring us and give us eternal life. But all of that, you're going to notice in every one of those things, he's calling us. What's he calling us to? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins found in his name, in, in, in Christ's work, finished work on the cross. And, and then he enlightens us. What does that mean? He opens our eyes to what? Not to himself, not to some random mystical truth in the moment, but to Christ. He uh, makes us holy, which what's that? It's to make us set apart like Christ, right? Uh, forgives us our sins through the blood of Christ. He raises us up uh, to be with Christ and give us eternal life in the last day. It's all about Jesus. So when we act like the Holy Spirit's this free agent, uh, it, it becomes this like almost like a, a parlor trick, if you will, like the speaking in tongues. How do we get to that point where it's speaking in tongues becomes a quintessential thing? And, and those holding to that doctrine would, would look to Scripture and say, well, that's what happened in Scripture, not realizing that in every one of those instances, for instance, in the book of Acts, the, the whole purpose of tongues was to get people's attention. Hey, and hey, proclaim look, the gospel. Look over here. I would snap, but you wouldn't hear it on the recording, right? Look over here, look over here, look over here. And, and there's the gospel being proclaimed then after that. And, and that's the whole point. It was never about the tongues. It was never about some sort of parlor trick or, oh, that was really cool. I want to do that. There was that Simon the Sorcerer, right? Yeah. I want some of this. I want some of this fancy <laughs> and he trick. Condemned trigger. <laughs> He's like, I, I just pray God will grant you for you know repentance, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what Peter says. So yeah. the the whole idea of of the Holy Spirit acting as a free agent is is the error we run into here. And it's this idea that the Holy Spirit, I don't need the Bible. He's just going to to speak to me, speak to me, speak to me, and I'll do. You know, he'll lead me. He'll guide me in all these ways. Well, his his whole purpose is Jesus always pointing us back to Jesus. He's very active. We don't talk about him a lot because it's not about him. And that's his whole point. His whole point is to point us to the finished work of Christ, which is his revelation, God's revelation to us and the necessary part of, of our salvation, right? Just to look to Christ, to, to cling to him. And and to, to continue on that reverse engineering track, yeah. what you want to realize is that we are trying to use the Holy Spirit for our own credit, Right, and so when when Lutherans speak against that, or when the rest of the church speaks against the whole speaking in tongues notion, the problem isn't that speaking of tongue in tongues isn't in the Bible. It's that the entire purpose of speaking of tongues in the Bible is completely different than what it's used now. Mm-hmm. Right, and especially in the Book of Acts, the the tongues that were spoken were all extant were all understandable by people who spoke that language and were all to introduce the gospel to them in their own language, that the apostles weren't just, you know, muttering or blubbering or or speaking gibberish. They were speaking the gospel in foreign languages. And And the point of Pentecost, the central point of Pentecost is the rushing of the spirit on the people as they hear Peter's message. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter's front and center. And he said, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's the heart of Pentecost. And then the response of all of the people in unison who had just heard the gospel in different languages is, brothers, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say repent and speak in tongues. He doesn't say repent and have a sincere, authentic Christian experience. He says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it completely reorders how we think yeah. of things. So then the Lutherans have spot. We've now created space around us, theologically speaking, to say there's nothing wrong with Christian experience. Right. But it, it just, you know, what you guys are both saying, I appreciate it. It gives us, 
handles to respond to people that claim, wow, the Holy Spirit was really there or the you know, Holy Spirit was working. And, mm. and you can say things like, well, how was the gospel? Was the gospel actually preached? Yeah. yeah. It was. <laughs> Which, well, I, it, and and my, some of my listeners or our listeners who hear me say this right now aren't going to be particularly happy with me. But the phrase that we hear in worship from time to time, Holy Spirit, we invite you to this place. Um, in my in my mind, and maybe I'm misunderstanding what's going on there, but as, as I understand it, as we are gathered as believers, the Holy Spirit is there in us, dwelling within us, as, as the scriptures teach. Uh, also so, there with the Word of God. If the Word of God's there, the Holy Spirit's present whether we like it or not. Correct. And, and so the invitation to the Spirit, to me, just seems... Uh, as as though you're trying to drum up some sort of emotionalism, right. so as to help you feel better about the worship that you're partaking right. in, to get to give you, uh, like like Jason likes to use, the feels, mm-hmm. right, rather than the actual substance of what's being said. Yeah. And and maybe I'm being too hard on those who who no, use that I'll, phrase. And to be honest with you, I've, you know, people I really respect have, and so it's not it's not. Uh, to, to be critical, it's just... You're, you're putting a good con- what charitable construction on that. And, and I think maybe we should just call it what it is. Say there is a place for emotions too, uh, but maybe not a emotionalism. Is, well, is yeah. What we're... The emotions and the experience need to be produced by what God has promised and what God is delivering, yeah. right? We, we don't put the emotions, that's put, literally putting the, heart in, the cart in front of the horse, right? Yeah. But I, I would take it a step farther. I think you're doing good Eighth Commandment work, Adam, with, with talking about the, the contemporary worship <laughs> experience. But on some level, we have to recognize it's also pretentious to think that we control this space and when we're ready, we're going to invite God to occupy it. it, it it's a false piety. Mm -hmm. It's trying to give us a false assurance that we give God permission and we don't, and we don't need to because it's God who has by the blood of Christ invited us into his presence. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's the same spirit as Ahaz in Isaiah seven, where Isaiah comes on behalf of God to King Ahaz and says, Isaiah says, ask for a sign that you might be certain God is with you. And I said, you know what? I don't want to put God to the test. It's the same exact spirit that does that, and Ahaz gets punished for it, and God still gives him a sign. Now, we should recognize that intent and actuality sometimes are divorced from each other, and, 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 and it might be that our conception is to be polite to God and to be reverent, but that builds into the whole situation of, of asking, is what going on here reverent in the first place? Yeah. If, if we have to drum that up within ourselves, is it right in the first place? Yeah. It's interesting how I've been noticing this lately, um, worshiping in, in different settings, hearing the, the hymns a lot. I, I was, uh, there it was guide me. Oh, thou, oh, thou great Jehovah was the hymn that was being sung. And I'm sitting there in, in this whole idea of, of emotionalism, people are like, Oh man, hymns. Oh, they're just so boring. There's no way that the spirit's moving here. And I'm hearing these great promises. Like Jesus in that particular hymn is called death of death and hell's destruction. Hmm. And I'm like, you know, thinking about you know, like, individuals. Yeah. Thing. I was remembering some people I had yeah. known who had died and, and just, you know, being grateful in worship, like, Oh, thank you. You know, for being hell's destruction death of death. We're going to mock death together someday. I'm excited about this. And like everybody else, you know, who I, I know that is not as 
happy about hymns. We're, we're, you know, we're, oh man, yeah, just we got to get in some more, you know, more of the feels. It's like it's funny how the spirit works in ways that, like, uh, if you want to call emotionalism a work of the spirit and giving us and giving gratitude to God, that was a moment for me, and it wouldn't yeah. be for you. So it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is, uh, yeah, maybe kind of doing what He wants in in helping us understand the gospel. Well, I can't sing uh, "Abide with Me" without tearing up. It's not possible yeah. for me to, to yeah. get through that song without getting tears in my eyes because it's so beautiful and so beautifully written. The, the problem with contemporary worship and the Pentecostal and a thing and, and everything is we're all talking past each other because we all have terms that mean something different to each one of us, right? And so style is style, but it's never all only about style. It, we never get to that point because at some point in time, style also communicates substance. Mm-hmm. Right and 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 right away, no. The objection is, well, there's some hymns that are terrible, and right, there's some hymns that are awful, and they shouldn't be sung in church. You know, if if you're singing "Is Your All" on the altar, that's terrible. (laughs) That's an awful song. You know, don't sing that song, right? And 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 I know there are certain objections to other hymns or whatever, but it's. You know, the, the In the garden is my personal Yeah, that's a yeah. in the garden, you know, there's a lot of baggage with that. And, yeah, yeah. But, but the the whole idea that we come to worship together to do something for God is entirely false. And that's what at, what's at the core of this, and that's what adds up with the the, the missing of the mark on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in the most basic rote confession of the Christian faith. We understand that it is the Holy Spirit's work to deliver something from God to us. Mm-hmm. And that's the foundation of our faith. That is what should be informing our worship. Now, if your act of praise, which is a part of worship, but praise and worship mm-hmm. are not complete synonyms, if your act of praise allows you to have an emotional response to realizing who God is and who you are and what God has done for you anyway, awesome. I will celebrate that. I probably won't, in, you know, join you in the physical expression of that. But I think that's great. And people who have a sincere experience of that, go for it. But you would at a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert yeah. if he talks about his daughter's death and then starts singing Cinderella. I watched you ball like a baby. <laughs> you know why? Because I was watching you ball like I a baby. Wanted to, <laughs> I wanted we to take a picture of Jason and have some... I don't even have social media, but I would have figured uh-huh. out a way to go back on to have a meme of, this is Jason in, in a contemporary yeah. worship setting. And everybody, I, all I our listeners would appreciate it. Twitter. As, yeah. <laughs> as, as two dads, Adam and I, are away from our families on, on a business trip and Stephen Curtis Chapman gets up in front of this conference and sings I Dance with Cinderella and Adam and I were both uh, reduced <laughs> to blubbering idiots yeah. and Wade Mobley's trying not to notice that we're crying because he wants to cry too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you also leave out the part where I walked around looking for him afterwards just so I could punch him in the face but I didn't see him. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, well good. Well maybe let's let's end this episode at this point. I, I think that you know, we've touched on a lot of good ground here. Um, yeah we're going to head into our Old Testament, New Testament episodes, but any closing comments, you guys? Yeah, it's a, it's a reality that if your objection is to something done doctrinally, it, it's fair to object if it's being presented in a poor way that make it, makes it look like academic exercise, but it's also fair to spend some time on introspection wondering, wait, is this important? Why is it important? And how can it bless my faith? that, you know, understanding this and confessing this appropriately will strengthen my understanding of what Jesus has done for me. 
Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. You are invited to the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary on March 13th and 14th as we hear from best-selling author Nancy Piercy. Professor Piercy will share insights from her books on gender and sexuality, demonstrating on how a biblical worldview is the solution to the challenges facing society as well as the church today. Register for live stream or reserve a seat at flbc.edu slash events. God bless you and have a great week.